Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Why don't we start with a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for uh, just blessing us with uh, fellowship, with family here, uh, and brothers and sisters in Christ. May we never take that for granted. Um, as we discuss this topic this morning, we pray you give us uh, humility, peace. Um, help us to be convicted about this issue. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing um, at the Bible Church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who do we blame for, for all the conflict in the world that we're seeing today? Well, I want you to grab a mirror. Uh, rather than being quick to blame others, we need to examine ourselves to observe if it could be us, the problem, the conflict, right? The source of conflicts. And so James is going to challenge us to turn from our wicked pleasures. Uh, and so before we jump into the text this morning, let me remind you of the summary statement in the book of James since we're starting a new chapter, uh, chapter 4 today. So my summary statement, if you remember, uh, I summed it up, the book of James, obey the word and be wise in a world of war for wealth. In chapters 1 to 3, we already heard about being doers of the word, right? Obey the word, do the word. And last week we spoke about heavenly wisdom, right? James calls us to pray to God for wisdom. We need it daily as we're growing in our Christian walk. Um, and now we're kind of kind of shift gears into a little more of, of sin and conviction here, talking about chapter 4 and chapter 5, in a world of war for wealth. Uh, the world, you know, that one word uh, we think of, maybe the earth or planet, but really I'm talking about a corrupt system, right? We live in a sinful world. It's filled with war. Now, yes, we could think about physical war, but... I'm trying to focus on the spiritual war going on. There is spiritual warfare. And lastly, wealth, it's not just about money. Uh, it's about whatever you desire. You just really want this, and you're going to go all out for it. And we're going to see that many people do that in a sinful way. They go after their pleasures, uh, desires that are sinful. And throughout uh, today's text, we're going to see the word that comes up. Uh, in these short three verses, we're going to see the word war, battle, fighting, conflict, strife. And so that's going to be the major theme for today. And so be ready to discuss on that topic. And so I want us to discuss a little bit about the proud man. We've been seeing this throughout the book of James. Uh, and I really think it's going to set up the tone for our passage, obviously give us the context here, of the proud man. Uh, James has given us ten demonstrations um, or characteristics of the proud man. Throughout the letter, if you look at James chapter 1, verse 6, we see that this man does not act in faith. He is one that is doubting. And the second thing is that he's not going to receive anything from the Lord. The third thing is he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you remember the illustration, he's like uh, the surf of the sea that is tossed and driven by the wind. Continuing, we also see that the proud man is a forgetful hearer, right? He's not a doer of the word. Uh, he's like the person that looks at himself in the mirror and then forgets how he looked, right? He is someone that doesn't do the word. It goes out through one ear and out the other. And so uh, this person, this proud man, is also someone who deceives his own heart. Uh, he thinks to be religious, but he is not because he does not control the tongue. Um, and also, in chapter 2, he's the person that shows partiality. He's like the spokesperson who favors the rich over the poor, uh, and so this person uh, is proud. This person is someone that sins in that regard. Uh, also, he doesn't care for the needy. What does he say in chapter 2, verse 16? Uh, this proud man says, go, uh, be filled with peace. God will provide. You'll be fine. Bless you. 
and he doesn't help the needy. This proud man is also someone with foolish theology, right? He says you can separate faith from works. He doesn't know uh, true theology. He is foolish. We also see that he has a self-contradicting tongue, right? He blesses God, but he also curses man with his, the same tongue. Uh, and so this person is very hypocritical. And lastly, uh, we see in uh, James chapter 3, verse 14, we just learned about earthly wisdom. And this person is someone who's selfish, right? Jealous, bitter jealousy, and arrogance. And so, so many different things we can say about the proud man. And so today, we're going to continue learning about that man, right? We're going to talk about his pleasures and his problems. Uh, and we all were like this man before we got saved. Uh, and we can even be tempted today to be like this man, a person that is proud. And so if you have your Bibles, go to James chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 to 2 to start. Let's read it. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so in this verse, we observe the problems of the proud. James will challenge us to yet again think about the source of the main issue, the main problem. And what do we see here right off the jump in James chapter 4, verse 1? We have the second challenge. If you remember the first one, it was in James chapter 3, verse 13, with who is wise and understanding among you, right? He said, all right, you guys who want to be teachers, you think you know it all, you think you know all this theology, um, who's really wise and understanding? And he gave us, you know, the answer to that is the one that is humble, the one that is loving, kind, uh, gentle. And now we're going to see that James, after transitioning to talk about peacemakers, right? Who are those who make peace? Those with the fruit of righteousness, those that are truly wise. Now he's going to talk about the peace breakers, right? The, these people um, are people that want to cause chaos. Now we can think of the war right now in Israel, right? In the Middle East, uh, there's a huge conflict. But I want us to think about more specifically the war in our hearts, Right? When was the last time you got in a fight with someone? I'm not saying it had to be physical. It could have been just you know, a shouting match. Kept yelling back. Maybe it was your spouse. You got in an argument. Um, or maybe it was just on Facebook with someone who disagreed with your political views. Um, I'm talking about a, a conflict. I'm not talking about a peaceful discussion. Uh, I'm talking about something heated. Right? Think about, if you follow baseball, the Braves versus the Phillies. Uh, there's a guy in the team that was talking trash about the other player, and then the next day, the other guy hit a home run, and as he's walking to second base, he's looking at him, and, yeah, I know you were talking about me, look at that home run. And so there's that conflict, right, that fight against each other. And so that's the context of the book of James. There's a lot of fighting going on in the early church, and mainly against the rich and the poor. We have the Jews and the Gentiles. And so it's sad to think, but there are many churches even today that split up over these small issues of whether you're rich or whether you're a Jew or not. And so we see here they're not willing to make peace. They're willing to break it. And so the second challenge now James is going to give us in chapter 4, verse 1, is that question. Another question, right? Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, here's another question. Here's another challenge. Look at verse 1 again. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? 
And so I want us to think about this for a moment. I want to hear from you. Where does evil come from? Who's got the answer to that question? Where does... Uh-huh. Your heart. Your heart. Okay. Anyone else? Comes from the heart. Anyone else? Where does evil come from? Or quarrels and conflicts? I mean, you could look at verse 2 for the answer, but... Uh-huh. Sin. Sin. Okay, I like that. Sin in the heart. Let's combine those two answers. I like that. All right. Anyone else? Where does evil come from? What, say it again. What you want. I like that answer. What you desire. What you crave for. Okay. Yeah. Well, we know it doesn't come from God, right? We know that every good gift and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, right? Uh, James there reminded us that God doesn't change, so he's always going to be good. He's good in the past, he's good in the present, he's going to be good in the future. We learned in James chapter 1, verse 13, that God does not tempt anyone or is tempted by evil himself. And so evil cannot come from God. We often blame uh, others about the evil in the world. Maybe you even want to blame Adam and Eve, right? Well, technically, yeah, that's how sin entered into the world. Maybe you want to blame Satan. He's got something to do with it, right? Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, very famous verses here about spiritual warfare. Look at verse 11 to 13. It reads, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. There he is. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And so we're getting closer to the answer here. We're talking about spiritual warfare, not so much physical war. So the question is, what's the source of strife? And we have to face the humbling truth. You see all the war that's going on, all the sin that's going on, the conflict around the world. Before we point the finger to someone else, we need to point it to ourselves. right? Because we haven't been perfect in promoting peace. Maybe you've caused some conflict recently. Um, or maybe you broke some peace uh, throughout your past. And so uh, we have a reminder here to stop playing the blame game. And it's better to own up to our sins, right, rather than hide from it. And so let's talk about the source of strife. In James chapter 4, verse 2, we get the answer there. Uh, it says, uh, James chapter 4, verse 1, Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? And so James answers uh, the question with another question. Uh, or another, uh, he answers the challenge with another question. And so, isn't it your source... Isn't the source your pleasures? Now, uh, we're talking about quarrels and conflicts, and this correlates in James chapter four, verse uh, James chapter three, verse fourteen, uh, with selfish ambition. Right? That can also be translated strife. And so we see similarity here uh, with the word quarrels and conflicts and strife, um, and, and it has to do with selfish ambition. Right? Um, people that are causing these conflicts are selfish, and so the source of strife. And I think uh, uh, Lindsay said it is our sinful pleasures, right? It's our sinful pleasures in the heart. Um, I wanted you to look at another verse here to kind of just grasp that a little bit. Look at Titus chapter three, verse three. Titus chapter three, uh, a couple books here left, and 
it's really good to meditate on how we used to be uh, really big sinners. And of course, we're still big sinners, uh, but we had a past, uh, if you remember, um, before you got saved. So look at Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Note that they're enslaved to it, right? We couldn't say no to it. And there's our key word, pleasures. Spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, and there's the key here, hating one another, right? That conflict, that just, I hate you. Can't wait to beat you up. And so, do uh, you notice all the foolishness that you used to partake in. Uh, you used to uh, hate God and hate others. And, and now God uh, has brought us into the light. And so we can praise him for that. Um, so we're talking about strife. We're talking about this war in our members. Um, what does that look like? Uh, it could refer to eternal strife within a person, right? It's just something in you that you're just upset and frustrated, angry. Or it could also refer to the external conflict between Christians, right? Between uh, fellow Christians. And so it's either uh, the internal conflict or the external conflict, or it could even mean both of them, right? And, and we can relate to that. Uh, we recently just heard from 1 Peter 1, uh, uh, or 1 Peter 1, chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against the soul. Right? And so there's this lust, this, there's uh, just us wanting to, um, to get what we want, our, our main desire, our main craving. Uh, and we see that it's, it's our sinful nature. James tackled that in James chapter 1, verse 13, where he said uh, that everyone is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Right? And so we see all this connection here. We have this sinful nature. And what do we need? We need the Spirit of God to work in us to grow in holiness. And... Until we get that glorified body, uh, we're still going to have the ability to sin, and we're going to sin often, right? We have these sinful pleasures in us, and so they wage war in our flesh, and that's the real war we need to be concerned about, um, especially today. Is our heart deceiving us, or are we giving God our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind? All right, any questions or comments about this topic of strife? Uh, we're talking about the source of strife. Any questions or comments? It is a humbling truth that <laughs> we're the problem, right? All right. Now, desires and pleasures and lust, are all desires sinful? No, right? There are some good things. Uh, we have, right, I have a desire to be married. You have a desire to have kids. You have desire to uh, serve in the church, right? Not all desires are sinful. But here in our context in the book of James, what is he talking about? He's talking about desires that are sinful, Right? And, and so often our hearts are wicked, and, and we, we tend to want things that we shouldn't really want. Um, and so why are these pleasures wrong? Why is it in our chapter these pleasures are wrong? Well, the, if you notice in James chapter 4, verse 2, they lead to bad things, right? It says here in verse uh, 2, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder, All right? So these sinful pleasures are ones that lead to chaos, anger, strife. It leads to fighting. And so just picture this craving so strong. Uh, you want it so much that you will be willing to climb Mount Everest for it, right? It's, it's a desire that consumes you. It's for your own gratification that you may seek satisfaction and self-advancement 
um, in preference to God's will and work. And so it's a sad reality, but sinners are going, going to sin, and there are going to be many that do not repent of their sins, right? They're going to hate God, and they're going to continue to hate Him and continue to love their sin. So we run into this interpretive issue uh, in James chapter 4, verse 2, right? This is probably one of the harder um, interpretations to make here. And to be honest with you, I go back and forth with it. Uh, the word comes up here. If you look, it says, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Is he really talking about murder there? This is a really good question. Uh, Douglas Moo would be more on the side of that. It's literal. Uh, then you have others like Hebert that would say that it's not literal. Um, who thinks it's literal? I'm just curious. Who thinks it's a literal murder? It could be, I would say. Okay, okay. I kind of think on that. Anyone on the more figurative uh, spiritual side? Mm-hmm. Okay, so murder in the heart, like, or, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's really not a complete wrong answer here. Okay, okay. All right, so here are the both sides. Um, on the more uh, literal side of things, one can argue that James is writing in the time of the Jewish zealots, right? And that movement was very influential, and so some believers may well have been former zealots, and they granted that the taking of another's life is not out of the question, right, for church members to respond this way when they disagree. Uh, the zealots, right, they were people that were zeal, um, you know, zealous for God and they were thinking they were doing the right thing. And you can think of just the Pharisees and how um, Paul was willing to kill people. And, um, and so maybe it is. It is possible because we know that a corrupt heart can lead to murdering someone. Uh, think about David, right? Uriah, he allowed someone to be killed in, in war. Um, and, and also another point to this argument of the literal side is uh, the parallelism is really good here, reflected in that uh, argument. But what about the figurative, right? What about that side? If we believe James is continually going back and forth to the Sermon on the Mount, could it be that he's just following the teachings of Jesus? If you look at Matthew 5, verses 21 to 27, what does he say is murder in the heart? What is it? Yeah, it's that anger, that strife, that conflict against your brother, right? You're hating them. Uh, and, and even John, right? John the Beloved. We see that he's talking about the murder of, of Abel, right, with Cain in 1 John 3, verses 11 to 12. And if you're not loving God uh, or loving others, you're just like Cain. You're following the ways of Cain, and he was a murderer, and so if you're not loving one another, then what are you doing? You're, you're hating one another, and in a sense, you're committing murder in the heart. And so could it be that James is just getting to the heart here? One last argument for the figurative side is that failure to care for the poor or the oppression of the poor was often called murder in the Jewish tradition, right? And so it fits the context of James because there were those that were not taking care of the poor, and it's almost like you're letting them to die, right? And you're, you're in a sense, it's murder, and, and so we can think of it that way. And it's okay if you disagree with me. Uh, both sides have uh, good arguments. Um, but yeah. So yeah, I, last year uh, I thought it was literal. This year I'm more on the figurative side. All right, continuing here. Uh, the sin of pride. We see this in our text. You might be like, where, where is pride here? I don't see the word pride here. Um, it's here, right? Look at verse 2 again. It says, You lust and do not have, so you can mur commit murder. 
And here it says, you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Um, why were these people envious? And, and I would argue that the sin of pride is the root of envy and lust. And I want you to think of the Pharisees, right? They're, they're the ones who killed Jesus. And why did they kill Jesus? Does anyone know? Pontius Pilate gave us the answer. In Mark, come on, we went through Mark. Why did the Pharisees kill Jesus? Because of? Envy. Envy, yes, bingo, yep. If you look at Mark 15, 9 to 10, uh, we see that they were jealous. Jesus was getting a following. No, 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 especially after the resurrection of Lazarus. I mean, people were like, all right, he rose the dead. For four days he was dead, he was a smelly guy, and boom, here he is, he's alive. All right, I believe in Jesus now. No, the Pharisees were like, all right, we've got to kill him now. We got to kill him. And they weren't planning to kill him during the Passover, but obviously God is sovereign. And um, they wanted fame. They wanted financial stability with their nice, fancy robes. Um, and, and now they were losing uh, a source of income because of Jesus. And so they were a prideful bunch. They acted religious, but they were hypocrites. They didn't care of the poor. Uh, and they were actually taking advantage of the poor in the name of God. Very, very uh, much blasphemy there. And so. Pharisees are a good example. They're very proud people. Even Jesus gives us um, an example of a tax collector and a Pharisee, and one is proud and one is humble, uh, and one is justified and one is not. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I believe that uh, the root of the envy and lust, just craving something, desiring, uh, it is pride, right? You're not content with God alone. You want something more, um, and you want what ultimately satisfies you. Paul, in Galatians 5.26, I think this is a good verse um, to think about here. After the fruit of the Spirit and how we should walk by the Spirit, he says, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And so as believers, we can still be tempted, right? We're part of the church, and the church can be ugly sometimes. We can become envious of one another. And so maybe it's our positions or our possessions. Uh, and so James wants us to think, uh, here in our text, why is it that you're not getting what you want, right? It's because God doesn't bless the proud. We'll see that a little bit later um, next week um, about how God is opposed to the proud. And so he's called us to live humble lives. We're not called to live a life of fighting, quarreling, a life that is filled with hate. And so why is it that these people do not have what they want? Well, prideful people do not pray, right? Look at the end of verse 2 there. You do not have because you do not ask. And so they did not pray for wisdom, and they don't even pray, right? And so this is a reminder for us to pray. And before we act like we don't have a problem with pride, we need to ask ourselves, well, how much do we pray? All right, that's a good question. There's a good correlation there between our prayer life and the sin of pride. All right, any questions or comments about pride, the sin of pride? Yeah. Um, so the Mm. Did, they, did they consciously aware that this guy was actually the son of God and that their pride was just so overwhelming that it didn't mm -hmm. hurt? They still wanted to get him? So Christ often calls them blind, right? Uh, they, they supposedly know all the scriptures, and here's the Messiah, and it's, he's right in their faces, and they're denying him. Uh, I would say uh, because they don't have the Spirit of God, uh, they can't be illuminated to see that he is the, the true Christ, um, but um, I would also argue that uh, they knew uh, he was different, right? They knew, like you said, um, even after the resurrection, they were, they witnessed the resurrection to a certain degree, but 
they were willing to have their, you know, pleasures and, and, and all that greed. Um, even Judas, what, we could say that about Judas. Judas spent three years with Jesus, and he's still willing to 30 shekels of silver. Like, um, so yeah, uh, there's, there's a little bit back and forth on that. But did you have something, Bob, or I saw someone else's hand up? No? All right, some applications here. Do I realize that I can be the problem? Uh, many times we act like it's someone else's fault, right? We can be defensive and pretend like we have no sin in the matter. We need to humble ourselves and admit, I'm the problem. Has anyone ever done that? Has anyone ever apologized? All right, it was my fault. I'm sorry. I'm the problem. I sinned against you. Uh, we need to do that rather than being defensive. Um, and so we have to see that the source of strife is me, right? It could be, it could be you. Ask yourself, why am I angry right now? Part of it is because you're not content and you're not thankful. Next application is, am I praying, right? Very simple one here, uh, but we see it in our text. Uh, we need to ask ourselves this, you know, daily. Um, have I been praying? Um, when you hear something terrible in the news or in your family, do you go to God? Uh, what about if you're super busy? Uh, does God have time on your schedule? Uh, is God worthy of your time? Of course he should be. Right? We need to start disciplining ourselves uh, in our prayer life. All right, one more verse here. I'm doing good on time here. Let's look at James chapter 4, verse 3 now. It says, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, waste it on your pleasures. So in this verse we observe uh, the pleasures of the proud, right? Uh, we're going to learn also the solution to strife and steps that we can take to be more like Christ. So let's talk about sinful pleasures before we get to the solution here. Uh, what happened? They didn't get what they wanted. Why? Because they asked wrongly, right? What they want is a waste. It is not worthy to be answered by a holy God. And so this returns us to the beginning of the letter and how we're told that the double-minded man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And there is a way to ask God wrongly, remember, with Without faith, you must ask in faith. So if you doubt, you should not expect anything from the Lord. We also need to understand that God is not a vending machine for your pleasures, right? Have you ever prayed for an idol? Uh, back in high school, uh, I used to pray um, for a girlfriend. I, I just wanted a girlfriend. I didn't want to be that, that nerd in, in high school that didn't have a girlfriend or didn't go to prom, right? All those things. It was an idol of mine, um, you know, and, and so what did I do? I wanted my idol so much that I tried to, you know, get my nicer clothes. Um, you know, I, I joined sports or certain classes that I knew this certain girl was going to be in and, and, and tried to impress her and all these. My whole life was consumed by that. Uh, and, and maybe you've prayed for something for, for many years and, and it's really an idol. We need, to, we need to evaluate, you know, what we're praying for and why we're praying for it. There is a way to pray. Uh, and so how should we pray? And so we're just going to kind of go into the book of Matthew a little bit on the Sermon on the Mount again, just to kind of help us here, because sometimes we're in the routine of just asking for God in a wrong way. So go with me to Matthew 7. Matthew 7 here. So we're going to shift gears to the Sermon on the Mount here. See a connection here once again. Jesus told us to ask, right? So look at Matthew 7, verse 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. 
Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? And so here we're reminded that, yes, God will provide. Ask according to my will. And yes, he will give. Um, He is a good father, right? We get that illustration there. He's not just going to give you the leftovers. He loves you. He wants to care for you. But we need to know the context here, right? Look at Matthew 6 now, talking about the Lord's prayer here. And he gives us some instruction here of how to pray. So look at Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so Jesus tells us how to pray. Um, and so it's really important for us to, to remember, uh, and you know, who is he probably talking about? He's probably talking about the Pharisees who love to show off and say, hey, look at me, look at all my you know, times I'm praying, but he's telling us to pray in secret, and so obviously we need a, we need a closet, uh, you know, a, pl- a place that we go to God in a secret place. Um, and so then he gives us instruction. Look at verses 9 now. Uh, maybe, does anyone know the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer by heart? I'm sure you guys, maybe if you grew up Catholic, I don't know. I, I kind of know it because of that. But anyways, uh, look how he tells us. Um, some people take this to kind of help them in their public prayers with acts, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, so you guys know it. It says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I just love how it starts, right? It's directing to God. Right, who are we praying to? Not praying to the vending machine. <laughs> Give me my pleasure. No, we're praying to God. Uh, and He is holy. And so we need to have that understanding when we're entering His presence there or, or bowing before Him. Um, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Is it my lust, my craving, my desire? No, it's God's will. It's what He wants for my life. It's so easy to just want uh, to pray for the things we want, but we need to pray for what God wants. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts that we have also forgiven our debtors. There we go again. I could be the problem. I could be the one who sinned. Lord, forgive me. Help me to see that it's not just there that are wrong, but I probably have some wrong in the situation. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one, right? Remember, that spiritual warfare. The devil's after us. And so we're praying for God to be with us um, and to help us. And so... We observe the proud man and how he acts in a sinful manner. But now let's discuss the source uh, or um, the solution to strife here. And let me ask you, how do we stop the evil, right? We're talking about evil and where it comes from. You guys said it, it comes from sinful pleasures, amen. So how do we stop it? How do we stop the evil in the world? Any... any uh, suggestions or recommendations how do we stop the evil praying. praying okay we just talked about praying that's that's huge right god answers prayer good anyone else yeah 
Okay. Yeah. Well, kind of, it goes hand in hand with prayer because, you know, God uses means and, you know, God is going to answer those prayers. And so, yes, there's, there's both. Yeah, both and. All right, you got you got one of the answers I was going to give. Good. Oh yes, if we do not know God's word, how are we going to be a difference in this world? We need to be in God's word constantly. Good. Yeah. Put a Band-Aid on it and stuff. Well, in ourselves, maybe not mm. some, but overall. No, that's a good point. We can't completely, perfectly end evil on this side, right? Um, we're still going to have our sinful nature. But, yeah, you know, it depends how you look at it. A uh, couple solutions here that I want to give, uh, or ways we can help stop the evil, not completely stop it, is do we walk by the Spirit, kind of like Bob mentioned? Are we living a godly example? That is going to be part of the solution, right? Second part is, are we willing to serve and share the gospel, right? We need to live a godly life. Part of that is reading the Word of God so we know how to live a godly life, going to church and learning what God has told us in His Word already, Um, and then just being bold for what God has called us to do, and that is to make disciples of all nations. And so we are called to share the gospel. Um, and that is going to have a huge impact. Just, you know, I'm not a post-millennial guy, but just imagine if everyone's preaching the gospel, doing missions, people are getting saved. That's a beautiful picture. Like I said, I'm not a uh, post-millennial, but what I'm saying is it's nice to have that mindset of sharing the gospel and keep doing what God has called us to do. Uh, so then we'll see less evil in the world. And so let's talk about the solution to strife here. I see three key ways in the book of James to solve this issue of strife, right? Conflict. Number one, if you see in chapter 1, verse 5, James there is telling us, okay, you're not perfect and complete. You're not fully mature. So what do you need to do? Ask God for wisdom who gives to all generously without reproach. And so we need heavenly wisdom. We need God's wisdom if we're going to have peace and stop strife in our life and, the, and you know, in the life of the church as well. Number two, we need to be humble, willing to put aside all filthiness. Where do I see that? Uh, well, if you remember James chapter, one verse, uh, James chapter 1, verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, uh, and so that is able to save your souls. So remember, there's this put off, put on. As believers... You had your old ways, now you have your new ways. And we need to say no to the old ways. We don't want to go back to the way we used to live before we got saved. We want to continue pressing on and being like Christ. Do not give provision to the flesh, uh, as as, uh, Paul tells us. And lastly, um, we need to strive for holy and pure living, right? It goes back to the main idea in James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and fathers to visit orphans in their distress and widows and to keep one self-unstained by the world. And so we're called to not act like the world, right? Remember, the world just is a place that wants its idols and, and, and wants conflict. And if they're not getting what they want, they'll fight, you know, uh, even fist fight with you. And so we are called to holy and pure living. 
a life that is filled with uh, just love, peace, patience, kindness. And so I got a couple steps here for us that I think will help us to be more holy and living a life of purity. Uh, steps to Christ-likeness. Number one, and I think this is the most important one here. Uh, first, we need to recognize our sinful nature. Um, or in other words, you need to humble yourself and see that, yes, you have sin against a holy God. You are part of the problem with all this conflict in the world. Um, and so we ought to see our need for Jesus and say, I can't do this on my own, right? And where do I see this? Uh, James chapter 4, verse 1, right? There we have the answer. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source, your pleasures that wage war in your members? And so uh, we need to remember uh, that we can be the problem. Continuing here, the second step, and it goes hand in hand with James chapter 4, verse 2, uh, we have to pray. We have to ask God for wisdom, right? We need to know that God will provide for us. He will be there for us, and we need to ask according to His will. Trust Him with the answer. We need that consistent prayer life, um, which the proud man did not have in chapter 4, verse 2. And lastly, if you look at chapter 4, verse 3, we need to ask with right motives. Uh, we need to keep praying to God in faith and pray to bring Him glory, uh, not to waste... Uh, uh, not to pray for things that are going to go to waste, but rather uh, we need to pray in wisdom, right? And, and that we want to give to others. We want to care for others in need. And so what are some key things that we ought to pray for others? Uh, three things here. Number one, salvation, right? We want to pray for people to be saved. That's the most important thing if they're going to be in eternity with Christ or if they're going to be in damnation forever. Uh, the second thing is sanctification or spiritual growth. We want to see other, believer, uh, other believers grow in the faith, right? Not be stagnant uh, or even uh, go the wrong way, going back to their old ways. We want to see them growing. And number three, uh, strength to endure. Believers are going through hard times, uh, especially those in persecution in other countries. We need to pray for them to have strength during these times. And we know ultimately it's the Lord that provides us strength. And so we're asking the Lord to... Uh, bless them with that and, and that they can continue to endure in, in difficult times. All right, some applications here as we close. Uh, am I praying correctly? Uh, I think this is really important. Uh, yes, we su we're supposed to pray. Okay, we got that in the other applications. We need to pray, but when we're praying, are we praying correctly? Right? We can easily make prayer a routine or just ramble off with a wish list. Uh, I don't know if you guys are already preparing for Christmas or, or getting ready for all the gifts that are coming and, and on Amazon, you know, you got that wish list, right? This is what I want, right? That's not how you go to God in prayer. You know, rambling, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. He's not Santa Claus, all right? He's not Santa Claus. Uh, we're called to pray in faith. We're called to pray for God's will to be done, even if that means suffering, right? Um, are you willing to pray uh, hard prayers, Lord, please uh, make me more like Christ, you know? And, and that's not an easy thing to pray because, yes, there's going to be a lot of tests that come with that. Uh, are you praying for people to get saved or, or for them to just be comfortable? Um, and lastly, is my heart thankful or greedy? I think it's good to look at yourself in that mirror again. All right, am I a greedy person or am I a thankful person? Especially in our society, we can be tempted to feel like we don't have enough. Right? Newsflash, if you have Jesus, you have it all. 
Be thankful. Don't put your job before your Christian walk. Make sure money doesn't become an idol. Use money to glorify God. And, you know, how, how can you see if you're using money for the glory of God? Well, are you giving to others, right? Or is it really hard for you to give something because, no, 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 that's my money, you know, or your time with God. Um, obviously, there are times where, you know, economic uh, stresses make us work overtime. And, yeah, you're right, you, you do have to work hard sometimes and, and to make ends meet. But what comes first? Is it your time with God or, or is it a comfortable living? All right, in conclusion, we spoke about the problems of the proud. We notice how proud people are the source of conflict, right? People fight because they have this envy, this lust, this, this pridefulness about them. They want their pleasures, and these pleasures go against what God wants. God has called us to humble obedience, but we often pray in a way that denies that and promotes proud rebellion. And so we learned a solution to strife and some steps to Christ-likeness. Pride can only be combated with humility. Next week, we're going to discuss uh, the positions of the proud, right? If we continue in our pride, what is our position going to be? An enemy of God. And that is a scary position to be in. Amen? Let's